Hello, everyone. I want to start off by saying I am really surprised at how well received this podcast has been. When I started this, I believed it would be a struggle to find people willing to come on. I'm thrilled at just how many people have reached out volunteering their time and story. Initially, I asked a few people that already showed their faces so I could get around that privacy concern issue. Since then, guests have been any individual that has gotten in touch with me that fits the criteria of being an escort client or professional supporting the industry. This podcast is about human experience and celebrating each person's individuality. It's about fighting the stigma against escorts and sex workers all together by sharing why we've chosen this industry and what our experience has been in it. The mission of the podcast is to deconstruct every label and definition applied to individuals. It's about celebrating the individual in all of their complex beauty in order to inspire others to do the same. If you felt underrepresented as an escort and want to use my platform to share and celebrate your individuality, please send me an email so I can help you share your story and we can show society that anyone is an escort. Thus far, I've only had local people on because I don't know the best software to use when recording remotely. If any audio technicians want to get in touch with some advice, it will be welcomed and appreciated. Due to the volume of interested volunteers, I will do my best to release an episode every week, but won't always be able to do so. I don't personally have the bandwidth to get everyone's story out. I am only one woman personally financing this project, and it's very much a full-time job. I welcome anyone who feels they may have the time and resources available to start their own version of advocacy, be it a podcast or other media. I'd be happy to offer assistance or collaborate on something. This industry needs a lot of active advocates to destigmatize, improve working conditions, and get more access to resources. All right. This week, my guest is a very talented woman. She's an independent escort based in Toronto in her early 30s. And this week, we discuss the topic of rebranding, how she had to confront this when switching from being a dom to offering a girlfriend experience. We discuss how people change over time and how difficult and beneficial it can be to translate those changes into your professional life. I hope everyone is excited and ready for my conversation with the very talented Isla David. There's a lot of people who are trying things that they've never tried before. Sex! Why do you think people don't see it as work? I don't know. I think there's just too much stigma. What do you mean we can't just go tell people? The vast uh, complexity of human sexuality. The escort. Deconstructed. Well, thank you for coming to my construction office today, Isla. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's uh, giving me something to look at while I am mulling over my answers that I totally should have thought up in advance. You did. You went over the questions. If, you, if she takes a few extra seconds, it's because she's staring at all the men down there. I feel like this is the wrong season to want to stare at construction workers. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> wearing such nice winter jackets I'm like oh man that high visibility vest <laughs> oh my mm. god well thank you for coming today and dealing with this thank you for having me we'll and, see how it goes and no worries this is just part of living in Toronto yeah right <laughs> I should really get a reduction on my rent for this agreed <laughs> Oh, I, I really want to start asking people this. Can you, wait, wait, how did you come up with your name? 
So that was a bit of a process. As you're aware, as this entire podcast is about, I, I recently rebranded and had to pick a new name, which uh, ended up being almost a five-month process because mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm a crazy person. And, and also because my old name was loaded with a lot of context and meaning for me. And so choosing a new name, I felt like I needed to do justice to the amount of effort that I put into my original name. Um, so Isla David really speaks to two things. It speaks to my passionate love for the delicious smoky brown liquid that comes from a place called Isla in Scotland. Uh, It's where the majority of my favorite smoky whiskeys come from and where I actually visited last last March. It was incredible. Yeah, they let me into the back of the distillery to do a photo shoot. So all Holy those, shit, dream come true. I don't know why I haven't seen this. Oh, they're, they're on my... I think a lot of people think that I just photoshopped myself into you pictures from the distillery. <laughs> but no, I hired a photographer and uh, he had a good relationship with two of my favorite distilleries, Ardbeg and Lefroig. Wow. And they let me... They actually let me shoot in Lefroig's um, smokehouse where they they smoke the barley. No way! Yeah, so there's photos God, of me floating cool. around throwing barley around in a smoky room and that is actually, I am standing on something that will become the whiskey some of you might drink. I'm gonna have some major envy looking at this. It was it was pretty awesome. Also, they were plying me with whiskey the entire time. So the photo Even shoot just, oh, the, photo, the, <laughs> the photos get increasingly hilarious as I get increasingly drunk. Um, and then David came from me wanting to retain some aspect of my Jewish heritage. I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, I'm, I am not religious. Um, but we do in my family, all of the major holidays. And I felt like I wanted to retain that, that side of, of my old name. And so there was another name originally chosen. And unfortunately, after doing a little bit of digging and a little bit of research, I discovered that there was somebody pretty well known who, uh, in, in an academic circle that I tangentially um, interact with that has that name. And I sort of figured that was probably... It'd be less fun for you to constantly see that person with that real name around right? you and be like, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, or have to explain if I <gasps> decided to apply to that institution, why? <laughs> why I'm known on the internet. Why? It would look like you had a huge crush on them too, probably like a weird stalker crush if you know them. Yeah, well, it, it's not like a... Well, the person's dead, and there's an award named after them. All right. So, yeah, so it was a little bit problematic. So David was, uh, Isla David was the product both of me trying to um, choose something that would highlight these two two aspects of of who I am and also had the least um, results on Google. There is one other Isla David. She's self-published a werewolf romance novel oh, in wow. the early 2000s. Um, have you so read it? I have not. Oh my God, Isla. I know, I should. So other Isla, if you're listening. Um, good, <laughs> she might find good. this podcast. She, she might. And I really hope that you've continued writing because <laughs> the world needs more werewolf fantasy romance novels i don't know is it like a little bit of erotica in there oh no it's it's fully porn oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah you might actually get on really well with her if you meet her one day (laughs) so so we'll see isla if you're out there i see you girl i see your weird werewolf porn. i'm finding this book yeah (sighs) 
Okay, well, I wanted to ask, how long did you have that other name? So uh, I guess, how long have you been in this industry to date in any capacity? So I started off in the industry. um, Oh, God. Okay, just so we get, when we say the industry, and this includes the other stuff you've done, it's really interesting to see where like the bounds of sex work start Mm -hmm. and stop. So yeah, whatever you consider to be this industry. Oh, okay. Uh, So... So I started teaching and performing within a kink scene capacity when I was, it was right before I turned 22. Uh, and I'm 30 now, turning 31. Oh, God. So a little over eight years from the kink scene perspective, um, I started um, first performing uh, at rope events. And then I was a broke art student who was shuffling back and forth between uh, a couple of different countries on this teaching tour thing, and I needed a job that would help me pay my 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 rent in my sketchy student apartment um, and pay for the enormous amount of paint supplies I was going through. <laughs> Those are art expensive. Student, they are so expensive. Oh my god, don't judge my art. <laughs> no, not at all. Never. And uh, camming seemed like a good idea. I met mm. someone who was a cam girl for, uh, I think she was on Chatterbait originally, Um, at the time I was doing a lot of content for kink.com for their, um, for the rope side of things. And I was, uh, the occasional guest on the upper floor. And, uh, while I was sort of getting to know the folks over at kink.com, I found out about their camming site, which was specific to people who cammed with a kink interest. And so for, um, a couple of years there, I was working as a cam girl originally under, uh, originally on Chowderbait under, and this this name is terrible. It's so bad, but <laughs> I'm gonna say it because because Please do. journalistic Please do. honesty. Roxy Foxglove. That's amazing. That is actually you know the porn name uh, <laughs> the porn name thing where you your first pet in the street you grew yeah. up on. So my first pets were two cats. One was named Roxy, and one was named Pussy. So I so I picked the one that sounded least porny. That's amazing. Which Roxy Pussy Fox Glove sounds good too. Though. It sounds like a Bond villain. It does a little bit. Which like life goals. Yeah. Right. I think you missed an opportunity. Right. <laughs> oh, I could have covered someone in gold paint or something. I'm never and, gonna forget that name. Oh God. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I started off doing that, then moved uh, over as Tifereth, which was what I was using to teach under uh, to Kink.com, and I started doing camming. Specifically, um, I was known for doing really elaborate historical role play. Okay. Um, so, um, actually, my per minute rate I think is was more than my like in person rate is now. I charged as an insane amount of money for this because I would do I would get people that would have incredibly elaborate. Um, scenarios that they wanted and I, I would do research the entire time we'd be doing That's the camming stellar. it would be like I would have multiple Wikipedia tabs open I used to do this really intense um it was like a tour of the 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 Roman baths um and I was like a mistress leading her slaves I through the baths that. and it was everything like uh, you know as you're crawling along you feel the warmth of the floor being heated by the hypocaust below as your ears fell with the scritch sound of stretchel scraping oil off of their mistress's supple behinds I think people like are going to want that. you to start like a porn channel with oh this God. voice no it's very <laughs> sultry and sexy yeah so so I did that it was super niche 
um, but really cool. I learned a lot, weirdly, about Russian history. People, hmm. people fetishize Russian history more than something I would have sexy ever about expected. communism, right? It's <laughs> it's that red threat. It just such a turn on. <laughs> Um, I never would have guessed. Wow. Super weird, right? But um, it, it, was, it was very interesting. And then kink.com sold their campsite to StreamMate, and the payout changed from uh, a split in favor of the provider to a split in favor of the site. So I went to, uh, to work at a house of domination for a couple of months there, but I wasn't getting the kind of work that I wanted. And where was this? Uh, this was in Toronto. Okay. This was here. Uh, I don't think it still exists. Um, uh, yeah, I can't even remember the name of it. It changed like four times while I was working there. <laughs> and, uh, and then eventually someone that I knew through the rope scene who was also a provider mentioned that she had a client that wanted to see her get tied up. And I said yes, which led to being a... I guess, for lack of a better word, full-service dom for a few years. A full-service dom. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, so I was I was offering domination services and uh, escort services. Okay. So rather than just one or the other. Okay, gotcha. But with a focus on the dom side of things for quite a while. Okay. I don't really know how to... There's so much I want to talk about. I don't like know where to you know stack it in there, but I guess I'll stick to the rubric for now. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you said that you accidentally kind of fell into it just by, I mean, you were looking for something to pay the bills, but how did like this kind of come up? Like there's a lot of, I guess this one seems like the most fun, pretty obviously. Yeah, it was, you know what? It just, it was a good fit for me. And I think too, I had always been attracted on some level to this industry. I don't know why. Like I, I remember... I think I was telling you over lunch in high school, my writer's craft teacher asked me what I was going to do for the summer. And I just turned 18 and I turned around and I was like, I'm going to go work at Hooters. He was like, oh, please don't do that. Please don't waste yourself like that. And I was like, I won't do it. If you promise <laughs> oh to God. never eat at Hooters again, he was like, well, I can't make that promise. And oh, I was my like, God. Well, then I can't promise that I'm not going to monetize my tits. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think I've always enjoyed being a little bit of a contrarian in that regard and doing the thing that. I'm not supposed to do that naughty label never bothered you no if any and I partly blame it on Natalie Portman's character in the movie closer she plays a stripper that's very empowered by what she's doing and I remember watching that movie I think it was like 17 and being like my god (laughs) oh yes I've seen this before yeah so hot the strip club scene with her and Clive Owen it's like I I I don't know who I want to be more I need to rewatch that it's I mean, is it a piece of cinematic brilliance? No, but <laughs> it was the inspiration you needed. It was, and it was it was the idea that that this could be this could be a way to take power in sex and intimacy has always been a big part of 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 what I've been interested in, and so it was a way to take power from that. I think on some level, it's the most interesting part of life, if you ask me, because no one talks about it, but it affects who they are and their interests in everyday life so much. Right? Like, we're all here because of it. <laughs> there we go. That too. Literally, every human on the planet is the result of this. Of a P and a V. Yep. Or a turkey baster. Or a turkey baster from that nice, generous gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started all this, did you keep it to yourself initially? 
Um, well, at the time I was, I was dating someone. So it was the decision to move from just providing domination services to, um, escorting, including escorting services was a conversation that we had together. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it was a, it was a non-monogamous relationship. So it wasn't like I was from the get go, from the get go. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, and so it was a conversation that I had with him, um, and with some other people um, that I was close with as well. And I think because the vast majority of my friends at the time were already involved in some capacity in the alternative sexuality scene, it wasn't, like I didn't have my big coming out moment. It was just like, oh, she's doing this now. <laughs> cool. I see that for her. That's very well suited. Yeah. <laughs> Do your fam- family know it all? So my family... My family knows that I'm uh, involved in the kink community. They actually... That's an okay um, label to have for some reason. It's acceptable. Yeah. I, I remember once my mom told my aunt about the camming thing, and my aunt was like, wow, if I was 20 years younger, I'd be doing that in a heartbeat. Huh. Um, and they know about... Like, they've come to my rope shows. No My dad way. built the suspension frame that I use for Holy practice shit. in my house. And, you know, I think on some level... I'm sure they've Googled me. Um... I think on some level, they know that I get up to more than just the kinky stuff. I think they know that, you know, I'm a companion. Um, it's one of those, don't, we won't ask, please don't tell <laughs> kind of things. But I think, I think if it did come out or if I was ever confronted with it, and I know at least one family member has kind of confronted me with like, I saw this online, and I'm like, yep, and the like, if you make a big deal of it, you will never hear from me again. And they're like, okay. And it's never been spoken about since. Um, some of my cousins know. Um, yeah. I have a very liberal family, and I'm very fortunate in that regard. They're, we are very involved in each other's lives. We see each other at least once a week. So, Do you think it helps that they're okay with it on a level? I think so. I think it, it makes it... Um, I'm terrible at secrets, so I think it's... It makes life much easier. <laughs> so much easier. I don't have to lie and say somehow I'm, you know, I afford this apartment through fiber art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just wildly successful, which is why you've never seen me have a gallery show. <laughs> but no, seriously, like I sell, I, I, I afford this entirely through. That'd be really through, impressive. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not in Toronto. It's a Maybe good thing Berlin. they were accepting because I'd hate to see what the defiance would look like with this track record. <laughs> what yeah. else could you do? <laughs> my brother should be really thankful because I feel like I kind of broke them in. Oh my God, right? Yeah. I took the shirt of like the bad kid. Oh yeah. I'm the normal one now. It's great. I love it. I think you're normal in the best, in the most non-insulting possible way. I feel so well adjusted. It's really lovely. <laughs> Uh, what stood out the most about oh, working in this industry you never really considered before, I guess, back when you were just doing kink and then when you entered into escorting, was there like a stark resemblance or contrast or was it different? I mean, there are, each of them has their own, not self-contained, but their own discrete communities, their, their own little bubble in which they operate. And I think the thing that I was most surprised about, especially when I made that transition, from being a kink educator, where community is a huge part of that. And even with camming, you know, there's there's a huge element of community. I, I was sort of expecting, I think in part because of 
you know, experiences with, you know, other women in high school. Um, I was expecting the industry to be very, you know, very catty and very, you know, me first. Um, and instead what I found is an incredible sense of camaraderie and like we're in this all together and, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, which really, I was not prepared for that. And I think it's the thing that is the reason why this feels less like a gig that I'm doing through my 20s and into my 30s and more of a career choice, you know? Because it's like any career, there is community, there is career mobility, there is people to lean on and growth available to you. And I, I, and I really do feel like that's a function of how well we support each other. Um, and I was not expecting that. So that was a very pleasant surprise. The other thing that shocked me uh, or that stood out, I, I was completely unprepared for the sheer number of loads of towels mm-hmm. I would be having <laughs> to laundry. I would, have, I, would, I would have to launder. <laughs> My God. So unprepared for the towels. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even if they use it just a little bit, still got to wash the whole towel, oh do a whole load. So frustrating. I mean, you said you didn't really find any negativity in the community. Where would you say, do you find any negativity at all in this industry? And if you do, where does it actually come from? Twitter trolls and review boards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those Twitter trolls are relentless. But again, as we were chatting about earlier, I know you're not supposed to feed the trolls, but my feeling on the matter is if someone's going to be a dick to me on the internet, I could be the bigger person alternately, alternately. I could have fun with them. Um, so, you know, I have to hold myself back sometimes from, from being a giant asshole on the internet. But yeah, I feel like if you send negativity my way, I'm going to throw it right back at you and I'm going to be funnier about plus it. Plus some research with those tabs open. <laughs> plus some research. Yeah. If you're going to be a dick on the internet, you should be a well-researched dick. At the very least. Right? I mean, come on. Put some effort into it. I have standards. <laughs> <laughs> if you insult me, but there better be historical reference to how this example has been used in the past. Exactly. Or, you know, be clever. Be funny. If you just if you're just calling someone fat on Twitter, I mean that's so uninspired, just really derivative. Yeah. You know? Be better trolls. <laughs> Kate challenge put out there for everyone. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I haven't but maybe I've just been not looking at it that much, but not that much hate lately. Uh lots in the past about yeah. Yeah. You don't deserve to charge this much, which I love. I oh, love that so one. Fun. Tell me what I deserve, stranger. Please, tell me. Please, you, human who has never met me, please calculate my value. (laughs) It's funny, if we could actually see them typing this, no one would say any of this stuff. Oh my god, yes. It would never get said. Yep. You're so brave behind that screen. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, speaking of which, did you uh, always show your face, or did you start out being anonymous? I always showed my face. Um, I guess with that camming stuff, hey? It was already out there. I was already very much, like... My face was there on the internet. Um, There was kind of no way to get around that as well. Um, The provider who introduced me to the industry um, very strongly suggested that I should. uh, As of the time, providers who showed their face could could charge significantly more. And, you know, she pointed out the same thing. It's already out there. If you can charge more doing it, show your face. And, you know, I like my face. 
I like your face too. It's a very nice face. Why, thank you. I grew it myself. <laughs> okay, yeah. great. Well, that solves that. Do you have a preferred verbiage for this now? You've gotten so many titles in the past. What I is it know. today? What are we doing now? <laughs> so um, I'm kind of at the point now where I really feel like companion is the best fit. Like I've sort of moved into this version of myself where, yeah, man, I just want to like hang out, play some N64, maybe like check out an arcade or go eat a, go eat a burger. Go rollerblading. Oh, always. <laughs> Roller skating. Damn it. Sorry. Skating. No, it's okay. Um, I, I don't think I own rollerblades. I'd have to check my storage locker, but I own two pairs of roller skates. <laughs> I need to downsize. Um, yeah, I, I like companion and I think of myself as a companion, especially as things have shifted. Um, I will, um, I, very occasionally when uh, when I feel like shocking people at comedy shows, because you know how sometimes they go through the audience and they, they mm-hmm. ask, oh, what do you do? And sometimes I like to respond with, I'm a whore. And there's always the best awkward silence, and they immediately drop it and move on to heckling the I person next know, to me. It's, I love it. Yeah, they never know what to say. It's great. Yeah, like I thought you wanted a punchline. It's not even yeah. a punchline. Like yeah. I'm giving you what you wanted. Yeah, I'm giving. Oh, you want like material? There you, you want go. Material? Here you go. Have fun <laughs> with that. Let's see if you're brave enough. Oh, you're not. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I went and saw Louis C.K. and like the opener was asking people if they were there for anything special or anything special. And it was my birthday in like two days or three days. And she's like, "What do you want for your birthday?" And I'm like, "I don't know, like some good sex, like a good orgasm." Yeah. And she's like. I think those men next to you probably helped me out. I'm like, it's not bad. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was, you know, that's solidly played. <laughs> there's been a few, uh, I like to go over to, there's like this little comedy club right around the corner from me, which they know me now. Mm, I've been there. Yeah, it's, they they go for some edgy stuff in there, which is why I like it, because I can run my mouth. Um, I'm actually planning on doing an open, night, uh, an open mic night. Oh my God, I want to come to that. Yeah, I've been like, saying we need more sex worker comedians, because we have like the material. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if I do, I'll invite all the girls. I'm going to need a cheering section. Oh, you won't even have to like show us when to clap. We're just going to be laughing the whole time. <laughs> You're like, yes! <laughs> Too true. Um, I promise I will never talk about any of you specifically. No, yeah, it's just a guy in a white shirt, but that story, man. Um, yeah, so I periodically, any, any, or anytime, um, there's been a few people who have said some very sex work phobic things to me without knowing that I'm a sex mm-hmm. worker. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so that's when I'll drop the, oh, me? Oh, I'm a whore. Yeah, and just seeing that. their face fall. Because if you say sex worker, it's like there's that pause. But if you say the word that they've yeah. been throwing at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hooker. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And you just watch them die inside. You're one of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm you not surprised. ashamed of it. I like my job. Your dad didn't have any problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I love that line. I never say it, but I just love its poeticness. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Um, I keep asking people this. I don't know if you want to share anything, but I just ask people to say something about their childhood. Yeah, um, speaking of dads. Yeah, speaking of <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, painfully middle class. My my mom's a teacher. My dad's a contractor. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, the, the only weird part about my, my youth, I was in quite a competitive um, Olympic track program for a very long time. And so growing up, I spent... A huge amount of time through middle school and high school when other people were sort of like 
figuring out how to, you know, be an adult. I was figuring out how to kick people in the face a bunch. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did a very useful skill. Uh, not really. Taekwondo is kind of only useful for kicking Japanese people off of horses. It's actually <laughs> the history of the sport. Really? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, they something today. Yeah, Japan's invaded Korea just a whole bunch <laughs> to the point where they developed an entire martial art for it. Um, oh. Yeah, so I, I, I was in I was in that for many, 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 many years and on the, the Canadian team for about 11 of those years. So. That's very cool. That's also a big camaraderie vibe, isn't it? Yeah, very, a lot of camaraderie, uh, but I was the only, so in my little training area in Toronto, I was the only woman on the team. So yeah, it was me and a bunch of boys. So for me coming into a community that's all about the camaraderie between women, I was like, I don't know how to do this. You all touch each other's hair more than I know how to handle. And there's very little punching each other in the balls. So And now look at you, you fit right in. Oh God, do I? Please say I do. I think you do. I don't know if I do. See, I think we all just don't know and you just try your best. Yeah, you just try not to be a giant weirdo and hope people like you. I don't know. Or just be that weirdo, you know, when all else fails. Just like, just... Yeah. Well, it's like me with my onesies. What was that line you <laughs> gave me from that show? Uh, oh, the BoJack line? Yeah. yeah. If you look the the world through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Amazing. Great line. So good. Love Bojack. I needed her to repeat it. I mean, it's poetic. It's beautiful. <clears throat> that show is that show has no business being so thoughtful for a comedy about a horse. <laughs> that's, that's its surprise. It's very insightful. <laughs> you came here for for the horse jokes. For the but, relief, but. but stay for the free therapy on Netflix. <laughs> okay, well now I gotta watch it. It's so good. But like watch it when you're prepared to reconcile with yourself as a oh, my person. demons. Yeah, except for so the first six episodes don't do justice to the rest of the show. So forgive it its first couple of episodes. I just finished binge watching Rick and Morty because I've never seen it before. <sighs> so good. I've always heard people talk about it, but I never and wow. I actually have a Rick and Morty onesie that I forgot to bring to the party. I have pickle Rick I and wear onesie that. form. That's not oh, bad. Oh I I had a bunch of of like lint all over it so I sent it to the dry cleaner but for the next onesie party you can have pickle rick I'd love to that was a great episode so good I, I would say a return to the classic caper style Rick and Morty episode after a bunch of really heavy episodes I mean the getting the being a genius relentlessly not having any limbs and like using the bones and it's and just creating like whole worlds in like an hour mm. I do love I, I wish I had a friend like that I would I mean, I could try to build you a pickle skeleton <laughs> suit out of, what was it, rat bones? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the spoilers, people. Spoiler alert. <laughs> There's rat murder in the episode. Um, uh, yeah, is there anything new and exciting you're working on in regards to your brand at the moment you want to share? Well, I mean, Isla David is still pretty new. I only kind of... God, it sounds weird. I only launched her. Um, no, I only... I, I made... Uh, the, re- the rebrand happened in... God, I think it was May. Um, so with that, I'm still just kind of building into that and cultivating, you know, who who is Isla David? She's she only existed for like six months. Society. She's a baby. Um, but outside of that, um, I'm, I mean, I'm still regularly teaching and performing all over the world. I'm actually leaving for a month-long teaching tour in two weeks. Sorry, guys, I completely forgot to tell Twitter. Um, and uh, in the new year I have a bunch of shows coming up here in Toronto 
I'm hoping to launch a series of performances um, that will be a sort of a monthly event, provided I can get my venue issues solved and I really need to stop neglecting my photography. I don't think I've picked up my camera in a few months. Yeah, get it on that. I really think that sex workers should start owning a lot of real estate so mm. that we can rent to each other and stop mm. having these issues. Uh, someone's going to be a millionaire out there, ladies. Um, so you still have the two names. One is your te- So both of those, those are both you. One's mm. just like one personality and the other one is a different thing. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because um, so I took the link away from my Twitter account um, about a month and a half ago. I told myself once my new Twitter account surpassed my old Twitter account's numbers, I would um, remove the link. Um, but my old website still redirects to the new website. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Tifereth is still out there. Um, she's still teaching rope. Um, I am, I am still that person. It is still an aspect of who I am. I'm just juggling, you know, two personas. Yeah. Why did you decide to do the whole GFE thing now? Oh, um, well, I came to a point a little while ago where I, I realized I had this reckoning with myself that happened where I looked at my brand and Tifereth, the big scary dom, and I looked at who I was and the kinds of encounters that were were really feeding me um, both creatively and emotionally. And I realized that at some point in time in the last few years, I had grown out of, of being that person and into somebody who was really, above all else, more comfortable with the kind of radical intimacy that's required to sort of truly engage with someone on a companion level. I think for me and I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but for me, starting as a dom and having that as, a, as my persona for a long time, it was, I mean, it's something that I've always loved and found fun, but, and kink is always going to be a part of who I am, but it was also a tool for me to deal with my intimacy issues and hold people a little at arm's length so that, you know, there was always that kind of constructed space between me and them. And that's, Part of being a dom is like part of the experience of seeing a dom is is experiencing that that space. Like there's you create this sense of removal and it heightens the eroticism of I am I am above you. You you are below me. There is this distance between us and there is intimacy and there is connection, but there is a space. Whereas GFE and you know companionship, at least the way that I was moving into GFE and companionship, it involved more radical openness. And that wasn't something that came intuitively to me. That was something that, that I grew into and, and I had to learn. And so I made the switch in part because I wanted to be more authentic to what I was enjoying sharing with people and more authentic to also who I am as a person. I'm a giant goober. I love onesies. I love... I spend way too much time on my N64 at home. Um, you've seen me get really excited about incredibly dumb shit. It's not dumb. 
but it's like I'm I'm a I'm a huge nerd and I felt like I feel like that's really hot. Oh yeah, no, I'm so down for nerds. Um it's it's my whole thing. You should see me at an arcade. I'm just like <laughs> I'm just like explosively excited. And I felt like there wasn't room for that in the version of me that was a dom. Yeah, that's not really what that role is for. No. Um like it can be and I'm sure there are people out there that make that work for them, but for me the dom me was a me that was uncomfortable fundamentally with intimacy and in my personal life as well. Like I have in the last few years really done a lot of work to open myself to the idea of sharing pieces of myself with people. And I think the culmination of that work is is this change, is this rebrand. Very impressive. I wish <laughs> that more people would spend more time um, getting in tune with themselves and going through phases accordingly. Yeah. Everybody grows, everybody evolves, and I and it's one facet of this industry that I find really interesting is this idea of like you get in and like you do the thing for a while and then you get out and there's not this there's not room for the idea that like you're gonna change as a person if you're in this for more than, you know, a couple of months or a year and there has to be space for that evolution. How has rebranding been for you? Oh, rebranding was terrifying. It was, it was so, so scary for me. It was, well, firstly, I had to reconcile with the fact that it needed to happen. That was like, it's still like a blow to your ego in some way for some reason. Yeah. Well, it's like, oh my God, I'm not this person anymore. Oh my God. She's dead a little bit. Yeah. She's, oh shit. Like, is this a bad thing? Am I, am I? Am I not as cool? Am I like, oh God. And then you get this whole imposter syndrome for like a solid six months of like, oh God, I'm living a lie. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, I'd had that reckon, reckoning. The rebranding was, was, was warranted and necessary to bring who I was in person in line with, um, with what I was projecting, but yeah, it was terrifying. It was like, it was like a piece of you doesn't fit your puzzle anymore. And you, you've got to like, kind of like dig around for like, oh shit, what is, you know, what does this look like? How's it been received? Really well. So I've been very fortunate. I have, I have an amazing support network. Um, you know, I have wonderful, wonderful friends in this industry who encouraged me, gave me a bit of a kick in the pants. They were like, you need like, more photos. Your website needs an, needs an upgrade. Like you need to make this change, and you you need to make this change hard. Also, people in my in my personal life were really pushing for it because I think they also saw that in some ways, by clinging to a version of myself that was no longer true to what I had to offer, I was doing myself a disservice. So I think the hardest part of of rebranding wasn't the strategy. It wasn't figuring out how to launch a whole new human on the internet. It was the kind of emotional work that had to go into letting that version of myself go and releasing the ego that I had around being Tifereth, big, scary, Domly McDomly pants who will order you around and has many pairs of boots. I still have many pairs of boots, but. And a million outfits. So many. For anybody who won that role play. (laughs) Most of them are in storage, and for the record, my latex is <laughs> please don't ask me to put on a cat suit again that's a that's another big part of the reason man cat suits are sweaty <laughs> i don't want to be sweaty anymore oh my god you want to wear those yoga pants yes 
Oh my God. Yes. That's like half the reason. <laughs> Dom gear is so freaking uncomfortable. It's, <laughs> it's that's like, why doms are so angry. They're yes. all bundled up. Yes. Because they are sweating into a full body condom. And the only place for the sweat to go is at the wrist holes, the ankle holes and the crotch zipper. <laughs> Nobody is happy sweating from a crotch zipper. It's awful. Thank it's you for awful. this. I haven't tried something on, but now I'm getting the full picture. If you want to try on the cat suits, <laughs> they are in storage. I encourage you to put one I on and do jumping jacks. Oh, it's God. disgusting. Yeah, you just marinate in your own filth for the entirety of the time that you're in there. <laughs> yeah. I know you didn't want that to sound hot, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, I skipped over the intro here. Oh, yeah. Because I just got a little distracted there. Uh, so could no, no you uh, kind of describe, like, what a dominatrix <laughs> is? Like, because if we're talking about... Being a dom, uh, being an escort, what do you, because I'm not qualified to give a difference, a diff- description here. Um, I think you're way more qualified. <laughs> okay, so so I feel like I need to define a couple of terms and keep in mind that these are my own personal definitions that I, like, I use in my classes. But Always. No one get mad at her. She's doing her best. Please. Oh, my God. I have not gone to university for this. <laughs> I went to art school. <laughs> um, so first off, I feel like I need to define the difference between a kink and a fetish. And then speak Please. to a dominator and speak to what a dominatrix is. So with kink, that broadly encompasses any activity kind of like outside of the sphere of what I'm going to go ahead and call, you know, traditional intercourse. You know, what what sex looks like for the for the vanilla for the for the vanilla. I, I, I don't know. I take issue with the term vanilla because I feel like vanilla suggests that it's a boring flavor. And if oh, you've had okay. quality vanilla ice cream, yeah, I gotcha. it is it is not boring. It does have a negative connotation. It does. And like and I and actually that's one thing super quickly again to get myself off topic. I get a lot of people even now who are like, oh, you know, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm I'm vanilla. I hope you still want to see me. And I like to use an analogy of artichoke dip. Because for me, like the very first time I ever interacted with artichokes was in dip form and it was delicious. And I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit. Oh my God. This is amazing. It's meant for dip. And I, and I, and I ate it with vegetables and I ate it with naan and I put it on sandwiches and I was like, oh my God, this is the best. And then one day somebody introduced me to artichokes in a jar. And I was like, this is spectacular. And then I had artichokes steamed and dipped in lemon butter. And I was like, this is great. And so to me... Sex and kink and and fetish and everything outside of the penis is going to go into a vagina for a while. It's like artichokes. Just because I stumbled on dip first, penis and vagina, good old classic sex, um, doesn't mean that... Uh, just because I stumbled onto that first doesn't mean that it's not the only way that I want to eat artichokes. And just because I've discovered artichokes in a jar or artichokes on pizza, just because I've expanded my artichoke palette, it doesn't make artichoke dip any less delicious. And so... That's like a whole curriculum of education in one metaphor. Yeah. It's great. It works. Well, yeah. and it's like, just because just because it's vanilla doesn't mean it's not great and doesn't mean that I don't crave that too. Just because, you know, just because there's Rocky Road out there doesn't mean, doesn't mean I'm not in the mood for a great bourbon vanilla Sunday, you know? So yeah, so kink. Sorry, I, I feel very strongly about this topic. No, that was great. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so kink. So kink would be anything sort of outside of, of that traditional, you know, kind of intimacy. And this is distinguished from fetish, 
which um, is kind of more easily described as almost um, a, more of a, a sexual, and know that I say this not in a negative context, like a sexual fixation on an experience, an object, or a desire outside the realm of more traditional displays of intimacy. So I always tell people that a kink is something that enhances sex. You might say, you know, oh, spank me. Oh, that's fun. It might enhance your your sexual experience with that person. A spanking fetishist will require that spanking has be, to be there. It every has time. to be there every time, and it can be gotcha. in the form of fantasy. They could be having you know a very vanilla encounter, and at the same time fantasizing about what it might be like to spank them. But it has to be part of it. And so a dominatrix is somebody who provides those specific sort of accoutrement to sex and sex traditionally speaking and only in my experience of traditional I'm going to add here I'm Mm -hmm. adding a million caveats please don't come at me (laughs) oh internet doms they provide professionally services that um, that include elements of kink and fetish Um, and Traditionally speaking, they don't provide anything more intimate than, like, I think the most intimate I ever got when I was working at the House of Domination was, like, a tease and denial session where there would be, where you would, you know, be slowly giving someone a handjob or, like, stroking them in such a way that it was, you know, it was intimate contact. But I always had a glove on, which partly created a sense of removal and also, you know, black gloves look hot and scary. And it was, the purpose was never the eroticism of a handjob. It was the eroticism of the denial of the completion of the handjob. And eventually, you know, it would it would happen, but they would always finish themselves. Because the point is release, not necessarily by you, but isn't that the point of a fetish most of the time? It's in some way sexual, whether there be sex or not, obviously, mm. and for doms, not sex at all, but... It's got sexual connotations, despite mm-hmm. there being no sex at all sometimes. But there's yeah. always those connotations. I don't know if I understand that part. Well, so uh, the motivations behind engaging in kink, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's varied and it's different for, every, for everybody. For some people, it's just, you know, they it's like, like a, a turn on for them, but it's not sexual. So that one's always like a riddle a little bit. It's, I mean... I think the key here is to redefine your idea of what what sex is and think about it almost more like compassionately. Because if you think about it, there are plenty of people out there who are who are for a variety of reasons incapable of what would be considered normative intercourse. And sex is not just about what organ is going where. Sex is about what's going on in your head. And so so kink and fetish or the sexual experience of someone who is, for one reason or another, incapable of engaging in what most people view as sex. It's still, it's still sex. It's still that kind of intimacy. It's just translated through a different conduit. So somebody who loves being tied up might get the exact same thrill of the intimacy and the sensations that somebody else who you know enjoys you know missionary so you're catering to the mental sexual desires without it actually being sexual yeah you are you are tapping into to the same systems but you're doing it with a different tool 
I really like that. That really actually uh, helped me. And yeah. I couldn't ask someone that hadn't actually done it. So <laughs> that's validated that for me. Yeah. So what dominatrix isn't an escort? Dominatrix is traditionally in my experience of, of what they are, do not provide the same services that an escort provides. They might go out to dinner with a client. They might do those things. But at the end of the day, um, my experience with that side of the industry and my understanding of the historical context of that side, side of the industry is that they are providing services other than um, what you would experience from, from an escort. And uh, a big part of why dominatrix is such a loaded term is is that historical background of these are women doing a very performative and very prescribed role so yeah so that's why for me it's very important to differentiate myself as someone who's I'm kink friendly still even in in my sort of evolution into companionship because shit man I already have all the toys I mean, if you want, right? It's yeah. all that experience and I'm all the stuff. You know, I didn't throw out my floggers and forget you know, almost ten years of bondage education, <laughs> but um, you know, I'm not, I'm not as interested in performing that role that comes with a very specific aesthetic and mode of even speaking. Um, you know, I've, in some ways, I've hung up my latex cat suit. Okay. But I haven't hung up my floggers. They're just in a drawer now. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely organized. No. God, no. No. (laughs) Anybody who's seen my house knows that's a lie. (laughs) So an escort that is kink-friendly versus an escort into BDSM, that's different too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, a a big part of it gets into questions of private versus public lives. Like, I know plenty of, of escorts who are privately kinky. And into BDSM, but choose not to include that self, that part of themselves, in their their public side of what they're engaging in with clients. I think too, it's important to separate kink versus BDSM because BDSM encompasses a wide range of things, including dominance and submission. And like for me, I've always been like kink friendly on the level of I really love sensations, um, but I'm never going to submit to anybody. It's just not in my nature, I have no interest in calling anybody sir or daddy or... Oh, God, the daddy one is not my vibe either. Right? I don't want to fuck my dad, you know? Right. Um, so there's, again, a lot of loaded terminology there that would take a, a much longer podcast to unpack. <laughs> um, but so I think I think being into BDSM and whatever you get up to in your private life, like there's... It's kind of really hard to translate that in, in a way to um, to escorting because there's because that comes, again, with that kind of like very loaded, very um, emotionally laden terminology. And that's difficult to cultivate with someone over the course of, you know, a couple of hours together. Whereas for me, being a kink friendly companion speaks to more like, hey, if you've always been curious about what it's like to get tied up, but like you want to go to dinner and get to know me first and like hang out and maybe play some like video games and then get tied up. Like, I'm your girl. It's if you, all going to be there if you want. I like that. Exactly. I'm I'm open to most things that I'm capable of. Like, obviously, like, I mean, I'm, my house isn't really set up for fire play. <laughs> if you want that, wow. you have to go to a dom. But I am open to providing people with the option to experience that side of me. 
She's open to experience, everyone. <laughs> but the key thing is, say it beforehand. Oh, God, yes. Please give me a heads up. Don't spring things on me. <laughs> right. It just, no one wants that lack of preparedness. Right. From your experience, uh, is there like a, I don't want to, well, I just want to know if it's true or not. I've heard there's like a perceived hierarchy difference between different levels of sex work. Mm. Do doms feel any differently about escorts than they do about other doms or other sex workers? Do they consider themselves sex workers? What's going on there? I think that varies, you know, person to person, dom to dom. Um, they would consider themselves a sex worker, though, or no? I did when I was working as a okay. pro dom, but, um, you know, I'm not entire. I don't want to speak for, for other doms in that regard. And with regards to, to that hierarchy, it's something that I, you know, see a lot of discussion about on the Internet. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I certainly didn't feel like I was better than or worse than providers who offered more intimate services when I was just a dom or when I was, you know, an escort who focused on offering lots of dom services. But I think also a lot of that comes down to who you're being exposed to, like having a lot, lots of friends on this side of the industry. I wasn't in as much of a bubble, whereas maybe if you're in more of a bubble of just doms, you might have a different experience. I really hope that's not the case for most people because I feel like in an industry that's already marginalized further yeah let's not make more problems yeah just befriend all your local hoes I guess yes the answer it's it's, uh uh, hoes assemble I would like to have friends in every kind of flavor of sex work I'd like Mm -hmm. that more perspective I think yeah well and it can I mean this is an industry that can certainly be quite clicky and so it's you know, I feel like the best way to fight that hierarchy, as the internet likes to call it, is exposure to to different providers. Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we all have similar experiences around being stigmatized. Yeah, it's really hypocritical because we are all very open-minded as a base requirement to be in sex work and then to be so closed-minded in other ways. Like, the irony is not lost on me. Yeah. So... Since you've done all these different things, do you think there is like a merit to branding as one specific kind of provider? Um, or one specific kind of whatever. So I I feel and a big part of the reason for for rebranding is that the benefit of clearly branding yourself as what you feel is the best fit for the kind of services you provide is is it gives you the ability to tailor the kind of clients who reach out to you. So there is merit to saying, I'm a companion. I'm not a dom. I'm, you know, I don't do, you know, fetish videos. I am a companion. This is what, this is what I do. And a big part of that is because, you know, someone who's looking for, you know, a wild half hour recreating the entire Kama Sutra is going to be attracted to a very different ad than someone whose focus is finding a provider who's up for the emotional labor of unpacking their childhood trauma over dinner. You know, they're going to be looking for very different things. That's a great tagline, by the way. (laughs) Unpack your childhood over dinner. Yeah. And so you're looking for very different things from an ad. And so, you know, branding is really your opportunity, I feel. And again, as someone with a lot of arts background, to curate who's going to reach out to you and to curate the kind of the kind of inquiries you want to have in your inbox. Otherwise, 
you know, if your branding's a little muddy, if you're branding yourself as a little bit of everything, you're going to be spending way more time sifting through people who are reaching out for the kind of client that you want to invest your time and your energy and your, most importantly, your emotional labor in. It's hard because I think a lot of people interpret labels differently. So maybe use a label, but then also completely define what you mean by that label. Oh, absolutely. Like I say companion, but what I look like as a companion is going to be, you know, super different than than what Madison looks like as a as a companion or what Ella looks like as a companion. Thank God, I love the different flavors. Right? And like we're we're all offering what we define as as companionship services and you know I, th- I think there's a few common denominators in 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 the labels um that give prospective clients sort of a nudge in like oh this person is someone who wants to have those long conversations oh this person is the is the person who really loves wild adventurous sex oh this person you know is the kind of person who helps going to give me an amazing massage at the same time, defining yourself and how you relate to that label is absolutely essential, both for, again, branding clarity and also to make sure that you stand out, that you're, there's a million people using the term companion. Really, you know? though. Right? I, and this is just another, we don't even mean to, but read the website. This is oh exactly God. what you will find out. You don't have to go cold call 50 women, be like, hey, do you like this? Do you like this? She took all this time out to hmm. write exactly what she meant by that label. Yeah. So much wealth of information we've just read and learned. Oh, absolutely. But I also think that there are ways that you can go about creating and cultivating a, bland, a, a brand that that convey that through other methods. Things like the choice of typeface on your website or... Oh my God, I'm so worried about that all the time. <laughs> it's, well, and it's essential part of branding. The colors that you associate with your ads, they all, it all communicates something. The, the kind of photos that you're taking, what you're wearing in those photos, all of those things um, reinforce who you are portraying yourself to be and what companion or GFE escort or whichever label you're using, what that means to you. And it's an opportunity for you to say to the people who are reaching out to you, you know, this is what you're going to get. Like, this is why I take all photos in distilleries and uh, playing nerdy old video games because I, I want people to know that that's what I'm about. And if I don't take that photo, if I'm just taking hot pictures in lingerie, while the world, I would argue, always needs more pictures of women in lingerie. Always. My, I'm always happy when my Twitter account is full of it. It doesn't really tell people very much about who you are as a person Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day somebody is booking you for that for who you are going to be with them as a person couldn't agree more and this is speaking a lot to people that are having issues uh finding what they are and the answer is just you yeah at the end of the day just yourself yeah (laughs) market that yeah (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to talk about in regards to branding yourself or rebranding yourself? Oh, gosh. I mean, I would say be patient with yourself if you're in the middle of a rebrand because because I wasn't. And I was like, oh, my God, it's not working. <laughs> my inbox is empty. Oh, my God. Um, be patient. It takes, it takes time. Um, and it takes time to do it right or 
Right's the wrong word. To find what's right for you. To find what's right for you. And I would say I'm still in the middle of, of negotiating. Me too. Uh, figuring out, you know, like I like I said, you know, Isla David is a baby. She's six months old. <laughs> Who knows what she wants? She just had her debutante ball. And she yeah. just got presented to the world. <laughs> yes. Here I am. <laughs> here I am in all my dorky glory. Be patient with yourself. And be aggressive about protecting your brand. Like I reached out to you mm-hmm. in part, not not to like rebuke you at all, but to, but because when your brand is in its infancy, it's so essential to be really careful about how you are directing that to make sure that you are you are steering it in in the direction that is the most authentic to you. Because I think it can be very easy to be caught up in like, oh, I saw a hot photo shoot. I want to do that next. Like... It's really important to sit back and think, is that the right thing for my brand where it's at? Is that the right thing for where I want to take my brand? Um, yeah, that and on, I was completely unprepared for how much curating social media was going to be a big part of that. Oh, um, so I would say be patient with social media, too. It, it's, You'll eventually get the hang of it and uh, hang out what to do with those trolls. Yeah. <laughs> and figure out how much putting up with trolls is part of your brand. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people are wondering, what is the whiskey fascination all about? The number of people that popped into that thread being like, ask her about whiskey. (laughs) It's like, wow. Well, that and ropes. Ask her about the ropes. Ask her about the whiskey. (laughs) I've seen her do lots of rope stuff. Where does that come from? Why does she like whiskey so much? Oh my God. Um, okay. Well, I, I don't know. It's delicious. Um, no, you know, I, I am I am a collector. I'm a person that likes to like accumulate things. Um, hence the giant pile of onesies. I've seen it. Um, I got into wine a little bit, but I didn't really get passionate about it. And then for a while, I was super passionate about craft beer, mm. but I was also getting super fat. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot for three percent. Yeah, it's very. It's a lot of carbs, and there's only so much my trainer can undo. Poor man. I torture him with my, with my diet. Um, so for me, whiskey was in part looking for something that I would enjoy, that I would, that I would be able to sit and sip, and also something that I could get really nerdy about. And whiskey culture is super nerdy. I mean, it's amazing to me that the same ingredients going into, you know, <laughs> a round bit of wood for a while can come out tasting wildly different depending on which region it's from, depending on, you know, the bit of wood that it was in, depending on the terroir of the where the barley was grown or the what the water has in it. Um, and so I love finding things that I can get really excited about and really nerdy about. And whiskey has so much to explore. For me, the love of whiskey in part comes from, you know, loving to drink it. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but also loving... Loving how much there is to learn about it and loving the process of, you know, I my favorite thing in the world is when I have someone over to my place for a tasting and I ask them, you know, what, what do you want to drink? And they say, well, I don't know. I always start off with, okay, smoky or no? And then from there, okay, yes to smoke. Uh, are we thinking more big, rich fruit flavors in there with the smoke or something a little bit more honeyed. How do you feel about salt? 
Do you have strong feelings about, you know, earthy flavors? And that sort of narrowing down to the point where I love when I nail it, when, you know, someone's given me, you know, no smoke, something with a grassy note. I'd like fruit, but not like red fruit, more like apples and pears. Um, I like a little fire, but like not too much fire. So like it should be like somewhat smooth and, you know, so ideally something that doesn't have like a super high ABV and, you know, just something that, you know, is a delight to sit, but it's going to be kind of refreshing and be like, boom, Anoc 12. Let me pull that for you. That's actually uh, quite the hallmark right there. Come over and Isla will read your whiskey palm. <laughs> oh, I, I actually love how you phrased that. But no, I love it because for me, it's like I get to like go on a on a scavenger hunt. I, I love it. finding the perfect whiskey for you. I'm finding the theme of liking to research is quite consistent across the board. Big old nerd. <laughs> <laughs> research is her happy place. And really why is. not whiskey? Right. It's valiant. Not everyone is into whiskey, so it is more of like a unique i guess because lots of people are just wine is so classic yeah pick a different spirit (laughs) yeah and you know for a while i was super into gin i do like weird spirits like i love aquavit so good um and yeah it was actually i was over uh, tasting whiskey and aquavit and hawthorne gin over at spirit of york distillery um in the distillery district it's one of my favorite places to bring people it's so fun um yeah I, I mean, yeah, the distillery district. Right? <laughs> you know, they didn't actually have a distillery back in the distillery district until relatively recently, like three, oh, four I years ago. I knew it. I knew it was a Hallmark thing. Well, because it, uh, it was originally, so the Gooderman Wurtz distillery is, the, all of the buildings in the distillery district were originally part of the world's largest distillery at one point, mainly because Toronto had a cholera problem. So their, solu- their solution wasn't to, <laughs> to fix the drinking water. It was to just add alcohol to everything, hence the Gooderman Wurtz distillery. Um, and then, yeah, when it fell into like disrepair in the 90s, the distillery left and moved to Windsor. Um, and the first the first... Uh, company back in the distillery district was actually a brewery, Mill Street, hmm. which has a great tasting room if you like beer. Um, but yeah, so so Spirit of York just opened up, and I'm uh, a huge nerd about what they're producing because it's great stuff. And if you want to hear more, you know how to get in touch with her. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I will not shut up. So. <laughs> That's good. That's passion. Yeah. And the rope situation, like, how did that even come about? Because I feel like that's a unique thing to tap into. Yeah, so I got into rope because um, I was a broke art student and someone offered me $50 uh, if I would bartend for three hours topless at a dungeon. And I said, sure, I need paint. That actually sounds really fun. (laughs) Right, I was like, I need paint. I have nice boobs. I would like $50 tax-free under the table. Please, (laughs) yes, I will take this this opportunity. And And I turned out to be bartending for a bondage event in a dungeon. And someone walked up to me at one point in the event and was like, do you want to get tied up? And I was like, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) But if it's what's going on in the corner, I'm really good at being upside down. Um, And they suspended me from something that I later found out was supposed to really hurt. But I was like, yeah, no, this is good. I like being, I like this. I like being upside down. And they're like, oh, I think you might be good at this. Do you want to do a photo shoot tomorrow? I was like, really? Yeah. And I was like, okay. Because, you know, 20 something with a quite laissez-faire sense of self-preservation um, turned up for the photo shoot and I dated that person for five years. Oh, there you go. Um, and they introduced me to the rope community. Uh, I started off getting tied and then I had a bunch of injuries, unfortunately. Um, and also strong opinions on how rope should be tied. 
So I decided that I would learn to do it myself so that I could teach the people that were tying me the way that I wanted to be tied because that's how I tend to approach problems as well. Just do it myself and show the people around me how I want it right? done. <laughs> like, why not tackle it head on? Right? And that was almost nine years ago. Wow. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah. Well, it turned into my thesis project for, oh, for cool. school. And then and then a career. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing that I've been able to do this for as long as I have. I'm very, do you think it's part of your identity now? It's, I'm, I'm never going to not. Plus, it's occasionally very useful. Um, if you ever need anything strapped to the roof of a car, I'm your girl. <laughs> Handy in so many ways. Right. And then want a nice glass of whiskey to calm down after. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone on Twitter wanted to ask you this. Uh, with your experience in being a dom, what real-life applicable skills can be learned from kink? For example, open to communication around boundaries could help a lot of people. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, yeah. So in terms of real life applications, I mean, I think first and foremost, one thing that they teach you really early on in kink is uh, the importance of negotiation. So sitting down with someone and finding out exactly what they mean when they say, I want you to humiliate me and put me in a dress and then spank me with a leather paddle. Like that seems super descriptive, but it's actually not because, you know, well, what, what words are okay to humiliate you with? What kind of dress? Am I, right. okay? Am I allowed to humiliate you about the dress or are you just wearing that? And that's, that has no part of your fetish. That ability to hone into the right questions to be asking people has been very useful for me. Um, communication for sure. And a willingness also to say no. That's something that is sort of held up as sacrosanct within the broader kink community is it is your responsibility to use your safe word. It is your responsibility to advocate yourself, uh, advocate for yourself and call red when you're done. And that willingness to say, no, I'm not okay with this. No, I'm uncomfortable with this. No, thank you. I, I, I would not like a spanking right now, but I appreciate the ask has been very empowering both for me and also um, for my ability to comfortably explore intimacy with people because I now trust myself to both know how to say no and also know how to be comfortable with someone telling me no because that's something that can be really difficult to to learn to be okay with. Totally. I mean, you're teaching them how to say no too, which I feel a lot of people need help learning how to do and like a safe place to do it. Exactly. Also, I mean, everyone should know how to tie a few basic knots. It's... That is a skill that I am eternally grateful for. I will for. come to that first workshop you have. Please do. I will happily teach you the, the basics. I would like to tie up a bad guy one day. If the event ever calls for it, I'll be like, watch me. I have a... There, there's a small part of me that forgets that I am five foot three and 30 <laughs> and have a bad knee that still fantasizes about the day that I'm walking down a back alley with a bag full of rope and someone tries to jump me and I'm like, yeah, and I would get him and I would turn him over and then I'd call the police and he would be like hogtied on the ground and the reality is probably I would just die. But, you know, in my head, I'm still absolutely a superhero. I who, support instead the superhero. Of, right? Instead yeah. of a lasso of truth, it's a bondage bag of justice. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be an internet meme. <laughs> Someone's going to draw you with a bag. I really hope so. Please draw me with a bag of rope. I'd like to see that. Yes. Like Santa. 
but for bondage. Well, uh, <laughs> what do you, I, but just back to some fun questions. What do you like and dislike most about this industry? Ooh. I love the, I mean, I, I keep on saying it, but I love the, I love the support of a group of women because it's something that is new to me. I did not have that until I got into the industry. And at first I kind of didn't know what to do with it. It's like, oh God, no, wait, when are they going to turn on me? And they just kind of never did. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. I really genuinely appreciate the, the, the female friendships that I've had the opportunity to cultivate through this industry. Um, yeah, in terms of things that I dislike, I would say the one thing that kind of gets to me... I mean, the, like, crotchety part of me that got ghosted this week is like, people are ghosts. But no, you know what? It's at the end of the day, I mean, that's part of working for yourself. <laughs> doesn't matter what industry. I think it's just 2019, really. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that kind of gets me down from time to time is, and going back to growth, is this idea that you are not allowed to change, especially physically. Like I am, I am a different person physically than I was four or five years ago. And the idea that you have to be like magically preserved and God forbid you show anything other than getting skinnier. I think all the people that matter don't feel that way. Oh, absolutely. But that was something that I had a really hard time with, especially, you know, I hit 28 and suddenly I had hips for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh, damn, my weight hasn't changed, but my pants have. It looks really good. I like the curves. I like my hips. I like my hips a lot. I love my ass. It's enormous. There's a lot of it. And I saw I, that picture. There's so much I ass. like that fold. There that is so nice much fold. ass. Um, and, I, and I actively work for it. But at the same time, it is, there's always that little piece of you that gnaws away because you can, the thing with this industry is you can go back to old ads and see who you were. Yeah, that's trippy. And it uh -huh. starts to, it starts to eat at you of like, oh God, I, I'm changing. Is this not okay? Are people not going to like me anymore? Because, you know, my, you know, my, my waist to hip ratio is different. Are people... Did people only like me because I was a hot 24-year-old? I'm are, sure it was are, a little bit of everything. Well, and, I, and it's, 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 it's that part. It is the insecurity, which fortunately having the support system and having a degree of confidence in yourself, you know, those insecurities are absolutely fleeting and, um, you know, something that you let go of. But the, the demands of being a person who exists as on many ways, a figure whose, whose body is for public consumption calls often into question your own like consumability. Absolutely. I mean, just having anyone be able to comment on exactly. the way you look is it's devastating a lot of the time. It is. And, and I think that's the one side of the industry that can, can often get a little bit toxic. Um, yeah, I don't think that people that aren't in the public eye feel that way as much, but now everyone's got Instagram, so we're all kind of living the same nightmare, I guess. Right? Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, Twitter does seem essential to getting business nowadays. It absolutely is. For verification is. and other, and it's a good tool, but it does easily eat away at you. Oh, yeah. So, and 
trying to remember to not compare yourself to other people's Twitter images. Oh, God, I'm trying to remember that every day. Oh, yeah. I, like, I'm it's happy hard. for them, but I'm like, I look nothing like as good as she does. Exactly. Just stop trying. And it can be so intrusive and so so damaging for you psychologically, which is why I feel like meeting each other in person and having these support ne- networks where you hear and see like, oh, of course, you know, we only ever post our best selves unless we're posting a very carefully curated version of our less than best selves to, you know, cultivate the idea that we are, you know, charmingly less than perfect. That's still even going to be a one of the more perfect pictures. Exactly. Of the least perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and so remembering that everybody is doing that. Everybody wants to put their best foot forward. And, you know, I can't compare you know, my thighs to somebody else's thighs because I'm seeing my thighs in real time with terrible lighting and their thighs are, you know, lovingly smoothed. (laughs) After Photoshop. After Photoshop and in the best possible professional light. Everyone's got cellulite. It's all right. I know the secret. Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. I am hiding it in photos, guys. I will agree. That is a downside I am not a fan of. Yeah. Do you have a retirement date in mind? Nope. Never had one? No, I like this too much. I mean, yeah, that's all I needed. Everyone yeah. says the same thing, but like I need you to say it yourself. Yeah. And then uh, no one's going to hear like, oh, I'm just doing this for six months until I can get back on my feet and I'll never talk about it again. Worst time of my life. <laughs> Literally the opposite. <laughs> Literally the opposite. Why would I ever quit? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> all the parts of her personality can be in this work and she can have fun. Why would you stop? Right. All right, your current favorite book or one you always recommend to people? So the ones that I find myself endlessly recommending, it's actually, it's more than one book, but they're all from the same author. Um, Her name is Mary Roach, and she is a former travel writer who got into science writing. And the beauty of that that is that she approaches topics that would be otherwise very inaccessible, like the process of death and dying, or how NASA is solving the problem of getting people to Mars, or how the military goes about developing new fabrics for the battlefield. But she does it from the perspective of a travel writer. So instead of these incredibly dense books that you're struggling, or not even struggling to get through, but that don't call to you, you are getting a you are getting to walk alongside her as she goes on a journey of understanding. And so for me, like I, I, I obviously am someone who delights in learning. I, del- I love research. I love finding out new facts. I spend way too much time on Reddit for that exact reason. Reddit's a gold mine. Oh God, I love it. I spend way too much time on there. Um, but she does it in this really delightfully affable way. Like you just feel like you're going on a romp through learning about how people practice plastic surgery on dismembered heads and that's like such a morbid topic but she somehow makes it like personal and the it, topic variety here is insane she's got like the most random topics oh she i know to be a cornucopia of information i know someone who knows her and apparently she's a delight at dinner parties <laughs> one of my life goals is to meet her mary roach if you're listening Fuck, that is the best Please compliment I've ever heard. A delight at dinner parties. I want that on my tombstone. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she. One of her first. Uh, it was um, gulp, and it's just a. I just, see that picture. Yeah. yeah. Just your, 
a, a journey through your through your digestive system and how that works and ha- how we study it. And I'm like, that is so cool. It's like the grown-up magic school bus. Exactly. <laughs> Which I was obsessed with as a child. It's a great show. It is a wonderful show. Okay, speaking of that, what are your favorite TV shows? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I did. I warned Sienna that I was not going to have one answer for this one. Um, okay, so if I had to break it down by genre, um, or rather, I'm just going to start spouting off shows that I particularly love. So in terms of animation, we've talked about Rick and Morty. We've talked about BoJack Horseman. They are both really solid. But I also want to bring up uh, sort of an underdog um, animated show called Final Space that I can't really summarize. Um, but it's sort of like the journey of a dude who's trying to reconcile with his father the famous astronaut's past but also there's like an intergalactic um evil federation and an interdimensional titan who's trying to sort of stop him it's it sounds like a hot mess but it's super fun um other shows that i love i am obsessed with the leftovers um absolutely obsessed with that show it is a show that sort of documents the lives of people who live on a version of earth where two percent of the world's population have just suddenly disappeared and it calls into question basically everything about religion and humanity and the fascinating thing is that the show really doesn't care about answering the mystery the show isn't about the mystery the show is about how you reconcile with suddenly and traumatically having to grapple with these very existential issues of what does it mean to to be alive and what does it mean to have religion? What does it mean to lose your religion in a minute? Um, So I love that one. I am obsessed with science fiction. I watch way too much of it. Um, Battlestar Galactica is my jam. But I also passionately love The Expanse. I swear a lot of men are just going to be like, oof, let me be Isla. <laughs> if anybody wants me to cosplay Starbuck. <laughs> you um, heard it here. I, I may already have the flight suit. <laughs> um, yeah, um, obviously Battlestar Galactica. Um, obviously The Expanse. For anyone who knows me as a person, I will not fucking shut up about that show. It's so good. Thank you, Jeff Bezos, for saving it. Um, it is It is really, really, really wonderful. Um, other shows... Oh, God, what were we talking about? Your favorite TV shows. No, no, no. Which... which I was chatting. There was one yeah. other one that I brought up earlier, and I don't oh. remember what it was. Oh, Fleabag. Fleabag. I Brilliant. I love Fleabag. Yeah, anything that Olivia Coleman is in... Yeah, um, she's a superstar. Yeah, she's probably one of my favorite actresses. Am I allowed to talk about movies too? Yeah, and Peep Show. Watch Peep Show, guys. Great show. So good. But yeah, Olivia Coleman. So I loved. I love her in Fleabag. She she plays someone who reminds me of a professor that I actually had. Really? Um, what a nightmare. Oh yeah, a nightmare. <laughs> Human nightmare. And she does uh-huh. it beautifully. Um, yeah, but her and also her in the favorite. Um, yeah. Stellar yeah. performance. Stellar performance. I'm obsessed with anything that Yorgos Lanthimos has created. The, the Lobster is one of my top ten movies. Love that one, too. So good. Um, I will stop rambling about pop culture, because okay. otherwise I will do that forever. <laughs> do you have a biggest companion crush at the moment, or several biggest companion crushes? Gemma Song. <laughs> Does she know you have a crush on her? I don't think so. Ooh. Well, but, hopefully she hears this. But hi... 
You're amazing on Twitter. You are my you are my fantasy dream Twitter Twitter troll. And um, please keep being awesome with with the clapbacks. That's amazing. <laughs> you're using this, and you're like, hi, hi. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I think we've like quietly liked each other's photos a little bit. Oh, I keep on wanting to be like, hey, girl, <laughs> you're so hot. She can be the first one to advocate for new little Isla. Like, hello. <laughs> Notice me, senpai. I've heard a lot of people compliment that new um, roller skate and arcade photo shoot you did and music video. People are like, damn, I didn't know I was into that, but I'm into that now. Oh, actually, that reminds me um, of the other show that I wanted to mention, Parks and Recreation. A big part <laughs> of the reason why I did that was because one character who I love on Parks, Rec- Parks and Recreation, Ben Wyatt, has a roller skating fetish. And I was watching that episode while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with this arcade that I rented for a photo shoot. And then I was like, oh my God, I kind of forgot that I spent several years on a roller derby team. So I know how to skate super well. Wow. So what if I, I, Ben Wyatt, like that you don't make a character obsessed with roller skates if somebody in that writing team isn't at least a little bit obsessed with women on roller skates. And then I was like, well, there was the whole roller derby explosion. A few years ago, yeah. A few years ago, but there was also, um, back in the 80s, Mm -hmm. um, a big explosion of interest. And I feel like a big part of that was, you know, it being kind of a sexy thing. So I, you definitely brought sexy back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. That was me taking a chance on being like, hopefully people out. don't think I'm insane for doing this. No, it's great. I love the uh, just being different, really. And then yourself, your roots. My roots? Of uh, being in a roller derby. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, a bit of a jack of all trades. A renaissance woman. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming here and talking about a million topics with me. Um, is there anything else you want to say to all the other listeners and escorts out there, clients, people? I feel like I should stop talking now because if we get onto another topic, I will not shut up. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, if that's, that's the, that, that would be my one thing, um, for, for people, uh, out there wondering what I'm like in person, um, a relentless chatterbox. Nothing wrong with that. It just gets really excited about ridiculous things. And if you want to get excited with her, you know how to find new her. Yes, please come find new me. I promise I am less scary than old me. And you can play my N64 if you want. I have many games and also my new Nintendo, like the old school one. I'm buying Rampage tomorrow and I'm so excited because I miss being Godzilla. And first, of course, take her out to dinner. She is going to deconstruct that childhood or whatever you want. Please. I'm so hungry all the time. She, yeah. We talked about food for a long time. <laughs> okay, let's go enjoy this dark day that's over at 4.30 p.m. now. It's just yes, night. And it's snowing. <laughs> Great. I wore a very small coat here. That was not a smart move. I will freeze. Luckily, you live nearby. Thank God. And speaking of, I have to go take a bunch of people to an arcade 
now. So, oh, uh, that's I so should fun. get going. I'm gonna go see Stormy Daniels. So jealous. I agreed to this arcade you thing just before. talked about the female comedian thing and i'm like god it would have been great i so wanted to go but i'm committed it, to i feel like so many hoes are going you're gonna be able I to get know. reviews from all of us please let me know how it was i'm gonna be busy dying a whole bunch of times in a halo simulator that's not bad it's not bad they, they actually have a new vr thing over there where you get to play huh. as one of the avengers wow yeah they let you that be iron man fun. and you like shoot things out of your hands it's see you see what i mean i, I will not go. shut up okay, i have okay. to go okay okay thanks for listening everyone thank you thanks for listening i've attached isla's twitter handle and website in the show notes happy monday everyone and stay curious